Hello and welcome to this special episode of the Spotlight Podcast. We're coming to you from the Edinburgh Fringe. I'm Christina Kerr, I work at Spotlight, and today's episode we're talking to producer Francesca Moody. Francesca has so many great projects going on at the moment, including Baby Reindeer, Do Our Best, Square Go, and Fleabag. Francesca talks to us all about her journey to become a producer, as well as how you can produce your own work successfully. Take a listen. Francesca, thank you so much for joining us on the Spotlight Podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. (laughs) It's been about two years since we last talked. Yes. Um, And since then, I feel like you've just taken on so many interesting projects. You've got a bunch of shows going on at the Fringe right now. I do, yes. It must be quite a hectic month for you. How are you holding up? You're halfway through. Um, I think I'm actually okay. I mean, I am surviving, I would say. (laughs) Um, I was saying to somebody the other day that actually every year that I've come to the Fringe, like I get, it's more and more like less of a fringe experience if that makes sense yeah. so uh not going out um <laughs> going to bed at a reasonable hour having a cup of tea rather than a gin and tonic um yep. <laughs> that sort of thing so um yeah I, I mean, i'm surviving i haven't run myself ragged just yet anyway good good i want to ask you then i mean i feel like we probably talked about some similar things last time mm-hmm. but i know that you were interested originally in drama and mm-hmm. in acting in the mm-hmm. theater world what took you to producing so yeah I I I I think like a lot of people who uh, work in this industry in other roles that aren't performing roles I think um I I didn't realize that there were other opportunities I suppose yeah um so I'd spent a long time thinking I was going to be an actor I wanted to be an actor um and I obviously went off to drama school went to the Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama and trained there and then when I graduated I I mean I was working a little bit as an actor but not really and I'm I've always been very 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 passionate about theatre um it was always the thing that I wanted to do the most um and I would um I mean I've like after I graduated and um I was doing a part-time job at the Royal Opera House and then in between kind of auditions and acting jobs but I would be constantly spending my free time like so like over romantically like going into the National <laughs> Theatre Bookshop and like buying plays and reading them and then like spending all my money on theatre. Um, so uh, I, I, I didn't really, it didn't really sit very well with me this idea of just like waiting around and not kind of engaging culturally in the in theatre basically. Yeah. Um, and actually, actually because I had some really strong ideas about what kind of work I thought was good and um, like the kind of work that I like to see on stage and like what the power of theatre was um, for me personally. And, uh, and so I was very fortunate that I had a friend who basically um, needed some help with a funding application for the now defunct Ideas Tap, um, which for those people young enough not to know what it was, was a, a really brilliant charity that existed to um, to help kind of young and emerging uh, people in the creative industries um, through like lots of different ways, like funding streams and training resources. Mm. Um, um, but it was for, I think you had to be under 26 okay. and he wanted to, and, and they ran this uh, award called the Edinburgh 
I think it was like an Edinburgh funding award basically and he had a project that he wanted to get off the ground um, and he's an actor and mm -hmm. um, but he was a little bit older so uh, he asked me if I would be interested in helping <laughs> um, basically because I was under 26 and um, and I suppose it just all sort of spiralled from there really so I helped him write a funding application for that and I kind of really enjoyed the process of just uh, taking a bit of control and yeah. um, and like you know, the idea of maybe making work as well for myself at some point had crossed my mind. So it felt like quite a, like, a natural progression for me to do something like that. Um, yeah. And then I just, I was just very lucky. I just sort of, um, it was just a sort of series of happy coincidences that led me into producing really. So that, and then there was a director who I'd um, uh, met in Edinburgh at the festival and I, uh, and I basically just went asked him if he had any acting jobs and he didn't but he had a, he had a need for somebody to come and help him with the press on a show so I did right. that um, and then a friend of mine knew that I was doing this sort of stuff and he'd written a play and he wanted to put it on the fringe so I agreed to help him on that and then that same original friend who'd asked me to do that funding application he uh was producing a bigger show at the Edinburgh Festival, uh, co-producing it, and he uh, had a writer approach him with a much smaller play and uh, some money that was already attached to it and, and ask if we would basically produce it. Yeah. Um, and so he kind of offered it to me. It was like an amazing moment, really, because in many ways it's quite defining for me to have mm. him basically say, do you want to take this project on? So I think basically, by the time I graduated from Royal Welsh, it was only a year, it was only, it was the next August yeah. that I was producing my first show in Edinburgh. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> very quick. Uh, very quick, very quick. So yeah, it was just sort of a, a snowball effect, I suppose. Um, but I just really enjoyed kind of being in control. And <laughs> I think producers enjoy that, um, that I think if you're a producer, I think you, you're you're right at the top and you can control so many things and you can be part of so many conversations. And I think I really enjoyed that because it really spoke to that kind of the passion in me of a theatre. Yeah, for sure. That's yeah. interesting you say that because I think actually um, the thing that's intimidating about producing is the fact that you are in control and you have to like do the organising mm -hmm. basically. Yeah. Um, was that a steep learning curve for you or do you think, you know, the best way to learn how to produce is just to do it and kind of get stuck in? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there are some, I think there are some like brilliant uh, courses, mostly MA courses out there for um, aspiring producers. Mm. But I have to say that the, the best way to learn is by doing it yourself yeah. really. And that is essentially what I did for the first two sort of the first two, three years of producing, I just, I just learned as I went and, um, and, and learned mostly by making mistakes. Yeah. Um, and you're right that there is a lot of account, I think there's a lot of accountability in producing and that can put, that can put people off. But I yeah. suppose um, it's not, what I always say to people is it's not rocket science. Like it mm. is just about, it's almost just about have being able to have perspective on the bigger picture yeah. um, look at everything that needs doing and then work out how you're going to achieve that um and along the way you may expect that um you have some problems because like ultimately <laughs> yeah. the the role of the producer is the problem solver yes um and uh, when things go wrong it does always come back to you um so it's just about being as prepared as you possibly can be really yeah, yeah for sure yeah. i mean Obviously, people listening to this, they will likely know your name because of the attachment to a very small play called Fleabag. <laughs> um, you know, it would be remiss of me not to ask you, but did you, you know, when, you, when that kind of came your way, did you get a sense of what that was going to be? 
as a show. Do you get a sense of that when a project kind of comes towards you? Yeah, well, I think Fleabag's taught me a lot of things. Um, I, the main thing being to trust my gut instinct mm. when I read work. So I was very fortunate because I'd just already started working with Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Vicky Jones um, as their producer on their uh, theatre company called Dry Right. And we were producing another show together and Phoebe had written that short comedy, te- comedy storytelling piece, which mm-hmm. at the time was called Chancing Your Arm. And um, I've been and I've been to Edinburgh twice by that point as a producer. Yeah. Um, I'd also been working in Edinburgh in some capacity since I was seventeen. So um, as an I, as an audience member, I know what I felt like. I knew what festival audiences wanted to a certain mm. extent. And I knew how to produce in Edinburgh from those previous two years and from just having having a real sense of the place. Um, and I read it and I just, I had an immediate like gut reaction to it because it was so funny and it was so brilliant. And uh, I didn't necessarily know what it was all going to be about, but also because I was friends with Phoebe, I knew I could see her performing it. Mm. Um, so yeah, so I suppose Fleabag has, has taught me to really uh, own my gut instincts when I read work. And to um, yeah, and to sort of uh, sort of go for it when I really believe in something, and actually so far that has worked so well for me on all the shows I produced as an independent producer. Yeah. Um, obviously, when when I worked at uh, Payne's Plow, for example, that's a more collaborative process with lots of other people. Right. But but if we're talking about me as an independent producer and like committing myself and committing to fundraising and committing my time and energy to a project, yeah, I've always just like. It's that feeling that you get when you read a play. Yeah. And it just gets you, like, immediately. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I mean, it's interesting hearing you talk about that process. Um, has that kind of changed in terms of, like, how things come your way now? Mm. Because it seems like, um, obviously, if people are trying to bring their own work to the fringe, for instance, they will consider, like, self-producing. Mm-hmm. So they may not attach, like, a separate person or really even think about that. And then later down the track, it's like, oh, crap, I'm producing this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, what would you say to people if they are thinking of, like, doing a fringe show, for instance, for the first time? How useful is it to have that be an external person? Like, at what point should you be thinking about mm-hmm. the kind of producing mm-hmm. part of the process? Totally, yeah. Well, I'm always in awe of people who basi- who can self-produce um, because it is, is a lot of work. But what mm. I would encourage people to do is to think about actually what what are all the things that need to happen, like in that same way that I said, to give yourself a bigger picture. Yeah. Um, because ultimately what it comes down to is like when you are making your own work when you're writing your own work and you're presenting your own work whether you have a producer or not you will produce and producing on that show Mm. um so i i think if you're thinking about taking your own show to the Edinburgh festival making your own work it's to just actually think why am i going what do i need to do in order to get it there and what is the plan for afterwards because i think when you answer those questions for yourself you probably have a clearer sense of what kind of person you need um to come with you on that journey whether you need a person at all um and then i think if you're going to reach out to a person or uh like interrogate the idea of potentially attaching a producer to your work it has to be somebody who um is really passionate about the ideas that you have and is really on board with um, what you want to do with the show, mm. um, I think that's really important because I think that will ultimately galvanise the kind of 
future life of the of the work yeah. so it's not always about so I would say if you're thinking about going to Edinburgh and you're reaching out to potential producers it's not always about going to the most experienced producer sometimes right. it's about going to somebody who you know who might be um, might have only produced one show might not have produced anything at all um, but somebody who's really passionate about the ideas because like mm. as I said it's not rocket science and if you're coming to Edinburgh there's so much here to support you in terms of uh, how you can give your work a future life and then the industry itself is so open that actually if you need answers to questions either for yourself or for your producer if they're not as experienced like there are producers like me or you know plenty of people who are, have their doors open to you or yes. venues that you have relationships with who are willing to impart their knowledge and support um yeah you know? for sure for sure does that, that answer your question yeah no yeah. definitely i i think it's um it's really interesting, particularly, you know, having seen um, a few different shows that you've produced mm -hmm. now. It does sound like then, like, the kind of key point of what you're saying was to have that vision yourself Definitely. in terms of what it is that you're making before you start thinking about, you know, the to-do list. Totally, basically. yeah. I think it's like you do a mini business plan for every show. Like, this is how I would produce now. Yeah. I do a mini business plan for all mm. of my shows. Like, what, what you know, you, you ask yourself the questions, who, what, why, where, when, and then you go like what venues in London do I want to get it to? How am I going to do that? You know, you, 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 you create a little trajectory. And of course, you are also responsive to the opportunities that present themselves to you. And, and you know, you can still do all of that. But I think if you just give yourself a bit of shape, um, yes. it allows for focus. And especially when you come somewhere like Edinburgh, which is an amazing place and is essentially a huge marketplace for mm. uh, work. Um, but it's also busy and stressful and um, fun. And you just want to make sure that you don't get swept up in the romanticism of all of that at the same time. Yeah, um, sure. But yeah, I think if you can just really be honest with yourself about what you want to do with the show and, ha um, and, and what you aspire, to, what you aspire to, to be or to do with it, then it will help you have conversations with potential producers or, or really think about what you need. Yeah. And then also if you're thinking about <clears throat> self-producing or you're a group of friends who are making a piece of work together and maybe you can't you don't want to engage a producer or you can't afford a producer whatever it is um it's just being really really clear with each other about what the division of responsibility is in, right. in terms of the work and how you you put it on I mean and that really goes for any kind of relationship that you set up in this industry mm -hmm. you know and sometimes it becomes really easy to um you can get by without doing that but but you forget how important that is because when things get really stressful or when something doesn't go right, actually, if you guys have all like sat down and said, I'm doing the press, I'm doing the marketing and I'm in charge of like technical stuff and like conversations with the venue, you know, it's just much clearer. Oh, yeah. So much clearer. Yeah. I think that's the bit um, that is also the most, um, not just intimidating, but the bit that people don't like to do because obviously when you're making theatre, it's such a, you know, you just want to kind of involve your friends and get together and it's mm -hmm. collaborative and it's fun and it's meant to be all of those things. But the sort of legal stuff and the contractual stuff, mm -hmm. what would you say to that? Like, should people really educate themselves in terms of understanding that side of things if they're going to embark on producing? Um, I mean, yeah, ultimately, if you're going to be a producer, you, sh you, you absolutely need to um, have like a real robust understanding of like contracts and how they work yeah. and how the industry is set up and, you know, the more you work as a producer, the more you need to understand, um, you know, equity contracts and, yeah. um, you know, what kind of um, 
parameters you need to set to, to be able to employ people fairly. Yes. I think if it, if it if you're thinking about producing your own work for the first time, I mean, you really don't need to overcomplicate things, like, at all. And something that my uh, dad said to me, and he's a he's a lawyer, and um, years and years ago, he said to me, you know, you don't need, you don't need anything complicated. You don't, don't get bogged down in all of this, like, like, particular language that you're supposed to use or right. particular things that you're supposed to say. Just mm. know what it is that each of you are committing to do and make sure it's fair and make sure it's really simple and easy for you to understand yes um and also when it comes to contracts if you don't understand anything there's always going to be somebody that you can ask so it's just about asking really yeah, yeah. asking the right questions yeah i want to ask you then about like um one of the shows that you've got on right now <laughs> yeah um we saw baby reindeer at oh, the very beginning good. of the week <laughs> and it's obviously having an amazing run right now i think you've just added some more shows we have three extra shows yeah what was the process like of producing that show? How did that show develop and what kind of attracted you to it? So, um, how did I come to be attached to it? So, uh, as, as you, you know, and as probably hopefully people know from what I just said, I used to work for a theatre company called Payne's Plough. Yes. Um, and uh, I have already known of Richard Gadd, who is the writer and performer who... Um, who made Baby Reindeer. Um, he had had a show on a few years ago that I absolutely loved called Monkey See, Monkey Do, and I kind of really loved his unique way of making work that potentially didn't really sit inside one genre or the other, and mm. I found it really challenging and inspiring and compelling. Um, so I was already a big fan of him, basically. He had started to develop this play, Baby Reindeer, and he sent it to the team at Payne's Plough. Um, the team at Payne's Plough read it and um, very fortunately for me, uh, decided that, that I should send it to me to read uh, on the proviso that they thought that it would be the kind of play that I liked <laughs> as an independent right. producer. Um, and um, so they basically suggested to Richard that he and I meet up, um, yes. which we did. Um, so essentially the play got sent to me. I got very excited at this, at, as soon as I knew it was a play by Richard anyway, because I'm a big <laughs> fan. Um, and it's and, such uh, an incredibly unique yeah, play it's, as it's well. it's an amazing play already. And then I remember reading it, and it's this thing about trusting your gut instincts, basically. I, mm. I, um, I was on a train coming back from Norwich, and I'd had like, a really busy day of work. And I was like, right, now is the moment for me to just stop doing the admin and read a play. Because it's really, really hard when you're producing to make time for that sort of stuff. And actually, it is obviously the most important thing that you can do, really, because it's how you get how you get your next show. Yeah. Um, so I sat down on the train, put my laptop away, got the play, read the play, didn't stop reading the play until I got to the end didn't stop reading the play until 10 minutes after the train had pulled into Liverpool Street. So I was still on the train <laughs> because the play was so good and I found it so like engrossing and like tense and uh, brilliant. And um, at, at that point, immediately I already had that response. Like I, yeah. I have to produce this play basically. I have to, I have to be involved in this. How, how, how can I make this a, a possibility? So then Richard and I met up, um, we met at the pub with John, who is the director. Mm -hmm. um, and I think they both knew about my work and I, I obviously was a big fan of theirs. Um, and uh, actually what's really funny about it was that I thought that I was going for like 
an, in, an interview with them to basically pitch myself and they thought they were pitching to me so what was really <laughs> lovely about it was ultimately at the end it was just like oh right I guess we're working together then. <laughs> this is happening yeah yeah um, and so Baby Reindeer as a play was kind of already formed in many ways when I became attached to it and then it went through a kind of rigorous development period um between sort of January and uh, May, uh, May, June. And then July, obviously, we went into rehearsals. So what's been interesting about working on that show particularly has been that I'm working with a... Um, it's, not an un, it's not unusual to me for me to be working with a writer-performer, but we're working on a piece of theatre which is also not a piece of theatre yeah. because it is autobiographical yeah. so it sits outside of that regular genre so yeah. yeah so it's so so the challenges for me in that is just making sure that we're telling Richard's story in the right way and making sure that uh, everybody in the creative team has been uh, bought into the idea that actually this isn't like us putting on a writer's play it's us you know it's us helping to facilitate Richard telling his story really yeah and I obviously my job is very much a facilitator and I think a lot of people will think of themselves as facilitators but with this particularly it's quite quite potent word I think in the context of that um and then uh and then obviously there's lots of things around um the fact that it's a true story and yeah. making sure that we uh approach that from um approach that in a very sensitive way and um, the way that we present it the way we talk about it um, and uh, and then since then, the, it's been amazing to be the producer of that show because obviously, as yeah. you will know, it's doing incredibly an incredible well. <laughs> play though as well, and just an incredible experience because yeah, as you say, it sort of trespasses that line um, of theatre and something else. I don't know. It's mm -hmm. just because it's real. Um, yeah, very much. And I would say as well, what's been really lovely about that show is it's been. Um, it's, in many ways it feels like the biggest show that I've produced to date with the exception of Fleabag which we, we sit outside of this a little bit because Fleabag I produced for Dry Right whereas for Francesca Media Productions this feels like the biggest show in many ways because it is um, technically so um, challenging um, because yeah. there's projection you know there are so many different uh, things happening on stage there's projection there's a revolve there's lights there's sound there's Richard um, so, uh, like being able to kind of work with a much bigger team and, and essentially present a much bigger production, um, has been lovely, but, uh, has challenged me, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, definitely for the best. It's yeah, such a best. great production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I want to ask then, you kind of hit upon a few things earlier, um, and in, within that, you know, about the sort of differences of a fringe show and a festival show. And mm -hmm. you kind of mentioned earlier about like sort of knowing what a festival audience wants to see. You know, what is your take on the difference between sort of producing theatre more generally and producing specifically a fringe show? What mm. do you think the differences are? Well, I think at the fringe, you've got a captive audience. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I suppose I was talking the other day to someone about the fact that a successful fringe show does not make a successful London show or a successful touring show. Um, the difference between producing at Fringe and pretty much anywhere else is that you've got an audience of people who want to see work. Yes. Um, and actually the challenge for us outside of this context is like, how do we, uh, how do we justify people coming to see the work? You know, like why should somebody in 
Barnsley come and see Baby Reindeer, for example, um, because it's very easy for uh, audiences to come and see um, Baby Reindeer here because Richard's well-known, he won the Comedy Awards, you know, right. it's, that's part of the kind of language of, of where we are now, but, you know, I, I mean, Barnsley's just one example, but, you know, any, you know, somewhere that doesn't doesn't have that all of that those points of reference mm. you know that was I would say is the big is the biggest difference between producing work here and producing I think uh how do you know whether something is is right for a festival I think um I mean I think festival audiences like they want to be entertained and challenged basically so I think you can really push I think you can really push to the limits of what of, of the type of work that you make and I think audiences are a bit more receptive to it yeah um that's not to say that there aren't audiences all over the country and the world who are equally as receptive in different contexts but I just um yeah there's something kind of about the fringe that you're expecting potentially something quite unusual you're yeah. more up for it I think definitely than if you've paid like a London price ticket for instance at a mm -hmm. conventional theatre space yeah very much so and of course like it's less about, and then it, it it's all about knowing your audience, basically. Yeah. Um, so when you produce work outside of the outside of a fringe context, it's just about knowing whether it feels like a show that you have an audience for, or that you can, or that in some way is is like you're able to engage an audience with. Yes. Um, yeah, and I, you know, if you're thinking about touring your work, that's such an important part of producing I think just really interrogating like who your audience is um yeah does that answer your question <laughs> and in terms of you know the sort of specific challenges of the fringe you know you mm -hmm. mentioned earlier that producing um you're you're the problem solver mm -hmm. what does that mean what does that look like what can go wrong with a fringe show uh I think the biggest thing that can go wrong with a fringe show is that it doesn't sell right um because and that's a risk be, and that's that's a big risk that's 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 a risk that you uh that you take when you bring any show to the fringe and yes. of course like when you pr produce any work that's a risk you take because ultimately ticket sales and audience booking habits are massively dictated by um what is going on in the world mm. um like what else is available um you know uh and i think we have only so much control over that stuff um but what we can do like and what producers are very good at doing i think is thinking ahead uh thinking about what can i do in order to make sure that i can sell my show and that is about again that's about planning I only keep coming back to planning and thinking about that stuff but actually um and and i suppose that's me solving the problem of ticket sales before before we have the issue if that right. makes sense um but yeah, t I mean, uh, ticket sales is definitely the biggest, biggest issue that you could come up against. But then the other thing is, you know, at the fringe, it's the fringe. We don't, there, there isn't, you know, you have 10 minutes to get in, 10 minutes to get out. You've got four hours to tech your show. You've got really limited um, technical um, capabilities within the venue, depending yeah. on where you are. Your, your venue techs could be amazing. They could also be you know 18 and not know that much and you know and that is that is part of coming to the fringe so i guess the other prop the other the other big problem is making sure that your work fits into the uh space and and when work doesn't fit or it doesn't work technically because it's not people haven't thought about 
how it sits within this fringe context, that's a problem. So again, that's just about foresight, really. Mm. Um, yeah, and then, you know, actors being tired and yeah. um, people getting stressed out because they get bad reviews and that's about pastoral How care. do you deal with the, with the reviews stuff? Um, uh, I think, you know, review is just one person's opinion. Um, I mean, in terms of press, I think press is very important here in Edinburgh. I mean, it's, it's, it's and a necessary and important part of our industry is um, critical, I can't think of the words. That like I feedback? Feedback, exactly, critical mm. feedback from your audiences, but also from the critics. Um, and, I, and, you know, and I think people can get very despondent when they don't get press into their shows. It can be really hard, and I think it's getting harder and harder to get people in to review your work, particularly if you're not well-known. Um, and, you know, even to a certain extent, like, we've experienced... I've experienced that with my smaller show, Do Our Best, which is on an underbelly which is brilliant, but Remy is a new writer, unknown, and I think, uh, of course, the press, uh, you know, there are less and less people up here, there's less and less opportunity for them to review, and so they're just going to book for the stuff that they want to see first. Yeah. Um, But um, when it comes to press, if you can get the press in, um, if you get a good review, yay, amazing. (laughs) If you don't get a good review, you know, it's one person's point of view. Um, And I think as long as you know that the work is good and that uh, you uh, believe in it and that you've done that thing where you have gone, I know what I want to do with my show. I see where it's going. Um, I see what venues it might go at in the future. Then a three or two star review really is completely irrelevant um, because if you're doing all the other stuff and achieving all the other stuff, it really doesn't matter. In the same way that it doesn't matter if you don't sell all your tickets here, um, you know, if, if programmers are coming to see your work and they're saying, I love that show, I want that show to be at my venue, then that's brilliant. Um, and, you know, then you can think about what are the things you can do if you take that show on tour that you didn't do here that will help you galvanise an audience, you know? Does it, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I want to ask you then, you know, if someone is thinking of... Fringe 2020 mm-hmm. <laughs> or something like that, maybe 2021, what should they do? Uh, how should they start? Um, well, should I'd they start now? <laughs> I mean, absolutely. I mean, you could, yeah. I mean, I would c- encourage people who are thinking about going to the Fringe next year to come to the Fringe this year. And obviously, again, come next year if you're thinking about going the following year. Do your research. Like, assuming that you know the, the work that you want to take up, just make sure that you're really clear with yourself about like what venue is the right venue for your show. Um, you should absolutely apply to all venues when you when you're coming to Edinburgh, but um, but it's better to have the option to choose, I think, than anything because yeah. not every venue is right for every show. Yeah, so I think research is really really important um, at this stage, and also um, ask around, like have a few coffees with some other producers who've already brought shows up to Edinburgh or other companies, and you know get their perspective on it. Um, ask them like how you start so- as something like that. I think yeah, it's all about sort of galvanizing advice. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Last question. Yeah. <laughs> I want to ask you what is for you or has been for you like the most proud moment in terms of your producing career so far? Oh, so many moments. Um, well, I would be, it would be remiss of me not to mention Fleabag <laughs> yeah. and all its success and the fact that it's about to open in the West End next week. Um, I suspect, but that is in the future. So hope that may well be my proudest moment as a producer. 
But um, I suppose for, for me this year, my proudest moment as a producer was actually hitting my fundraising target for the shows, which is a really big deal for me um, because it is so, so challenging. And yeah. for me, knowing that I have been able to justify to people why they should help me put on these productions and present them um, was like, yeah, uh, a personal moment of achievement, um, I would say. But yeah, like I always, always feel hugely proud when I get to go to the first night of any of my shows. So this year, watching Richard Gadd on stage in Roundabout for the first time and seeing projection work in the Roundabout, which is the first for that space. And then watching Remy perform her show and seeing people rolling in the aisles, laughing and then crying at the same time. And then watching Square Go happen again with yes. a full audience um, for a second year in a row, um, like all of those things. And and seeing people's responses, I think audiences are really at the heart of what I do. Um, you know, it is all about the audience at the end of the day. Um, and just make, being able to be part of that and see that um, audiences are really responding. Very proud. Thank you so much, Thank Francesca. You. <laughs> Thanks, you're welcome. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Spotlight Podcast. If you have any questions for us or would like us to cover something in an upcoming episode, send us an email at questions at spotlight.com. If you're interested in some of the plays that Francesca talked about, you can catch Baby Reindeer at the Bush Theatre from the 9th of October to the 9th of November. You can catch Square Go, which is touring around East England from the 23rd of September to the 13th of October. And of course, if you're lucky enough to have a ticket, you can catch Fleabag very soon on the West End. That's all for now from the home of casting.